Welcome to Movies Are Spiritual, the podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas we see in popular movies. This podcast is sponsored by Brewery Ministries. Our goal is to generate casual and entertaining spiritual discussion for anyone. This episode will contain spoilers. We recommend watching the movie before listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Movies Are Spiritual podcast. Today, we are discussing The Fifth Element, starring Bruce Willis and Mia Jovovich. All right, this is Nathan. This is Nicole. And this is Heath. All right, so Doug and Drew are taking a little break this month. So I snagged a couple other friends here from Kansas. Nicole, who is actually my girlfriend, and Heath, who is my longtime partner in founding the brewery ministry. So pretty awesome. Good friends. I wanted to kind of recap what we do on this podcast. We'll watch a movie together, and then we talk about the spiritual themes that we see in the films. Several years ago, I heard film critic Josh Larson say that movies are essentially prayers. Even if people are not religious, they show our longings and desires. They're essentially like floating a prayer out into the universe. So that totally changed the way I watch movies. And now when I watch movies and TV shows, I'm always looking for what is the prayer? What is the underlying spiritual theme. So we're going to talk about some of that in the movie Fifth Element today. Some of these spiritual themes are not perfect matchups, so we'll bring up what we saw. This is subjective, of course. And then we may contrast and talk about anything that was different. So Nicole is actually the fan. This is her favorite movie. Nicole, yes. can you tell us what drew you to this movie? What makes it your favorite movie ever? I mean, we kind of grew up watching this movie, but I like it because it has all it covers all of my favorite genres. It has comedy, action, sci-fi stuff. It has romance in it. And so I like that it encompasses all of that in one movie. Very interesting. Yeah. Did you know it's like the most, at that point, it was the most expensive French film ever made? I did not know that. Yeah, I, I actually found out, okay, being a French film, that kind of explains some of the things that seem more eccentric. I'm like, oh, you're they're just European. <laughs> well, they're also like super far in the future. So there's that. So in the future, we're all going to become Europeans. No, I don't think that's... <laughs> Although that could be a, a parallel, right? To the yeah. one world entity. Yeah. Well, for fun here, I dug up some movie trivia. You guys want to hear what this movie almost was? Yes. There were yeah. a lot of ideas thrown around when they were writing this. The original idea for the script had Corbin meeting Lilu at the resort at the beginning of the movie after winning the contest. So I don't think he was a cab driver. He didn't meet her with her climbing into his cab at the beginning of the movie, which takes away one of the coolest parts, the flying cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she actually like just falls right into the car. So that was a pretty big, pretty big scene. You would have to take yeah. out of that, I feel like. So you want to hear some alternate casting that almost happened? Yes. We almost had Mel Gibson as Corbin. How do you feel about that? I don't like that. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. He's no. too like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Not Mel Gibson. <laughs> what about you? Is that too on the nose, Heath? Or are you a Mel uh, Gibson fan? I don't, when I think of Mel Gibson, I think Braveheart. And I'm like, nah. I don't I don't think we need a brave heart in this movie. Yeah, I'm I'm having trouble seeing it, but I imagine if you watch some of his comedy movies, they would have gone more that route. But mm -hmm. I like Willis. Maybe. I'm glad they settled with him. Same. 
Now, you guys probably noticed, who was the talk show character? What was his name? Ruby Rod. Uh, yeah, Ruby almost was Ruby someone else. They Rod. wanted Prince. Prince. Huh? I actually thought it was Prince oh, when I first saw the movie. Okay. Way too yeah, tall yeah. to be Prince. Yeah, I was like, oh, Prince is in this movie? <laughs> I had no idea that was Chris Tucker. They also only almost went with Jamie Foxx. Mm, I could see that. Yeah. I do think they picked really well with Chris Tucker, but I could see Jamie Foxx in that role. Okay. Okay. Now, Gary Oldman was unrecognizable to me in this role because I know him from Dracula and the Dark Knight trilogy. And he did not look like the Gary Oldman I knew. So when I found out that was him, I was shocked. So he was interviewed and asked whether or not he likes this movie. What do you think he said? I'm not going to answer because you already told me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess that he didn't like the role that he played, but he did it anyway. Yeah, I don't know why he did it other than I heard somebody who was working on this film was financing one of his other films. So in 2014, he was interviewed by Playboy magazine and they asked him if he likes the film. He says, no, I can't bear it. <laughs> that makes me so sad. It's And he's really good in that film too. Like he yeah. plays an excellent villain. The Southern accent kind of threw me off a little bit. But the second time I watched this, when we watched it last week, I thought, wow, he is actually really good mm -hmm. once I got over the funny accent. So IMDb has some trivia about him. He's He plays the character Zorg. He's got a limp in the film, but apparently he couldn't remember which leg was supposed to be bad. So in some hmm. scenes, it's the left leg that is limping. And in other scenes, it's the right. And then it keeps switching back and forth. So if you watch this movie again, watch for that. It's like one of those funny blooper things like in spider-man where you get to pick out all the stuff that they messed up <laughs> you know you know for those right. of you who do that yeah what, what was the guy's name zorn he kind of reminded me zorg he kind of reminded me of doc holiday from tombstone for some reason and I, so? I, I think it may be just the way that he talked oh yeah so. okay i could see that he's <laughs> like playing a space western i kept getting the word zorg mixed up with zerg from toy story or star <laughs> All yeah, right, what do you say we dive into the plot here? Let's do it. All right, I printed off the little synopsis from IMDb, and it says, In the colorful future, a cab driver unwittingly becomes the central figure in a search for a legendary cosmic weapon to keep evil and Mr. Zorg at bay. Okay, so at this point in the podcast, I thought we could start throwing out the spiritual concepts that we saw in the film, starting at the beginning, and we'll progressively talk through everything we saw like that in the film, one theme at a time. So would anybody like to throw a spiritual concept they saw in the film out there from the beginning of the movie? Something I thought was interesting is when the Montesquieu come down and they kind of mind boggle the professor, right? And they're doing it for a good reason because they have these secrets that they're trying to keep in order to keep the world safe. But Luke Perry's character is like, they're crazy. Like they killed the professor. That makes them the enemy. But the priest is trying to convince him otherwise. And that seems to me like kind of a common theme in Christianity today where things happen and we can't explain it. And so people kind of blame God for that. Mm -hmm. then, but, you know, people who follow God, who are Christians, are like, well, he's doing it for maybe this reason or this reason, or there's always a reason. And so that was kind of a parallel that stood out to me. Ah, very interesting. So it's a debate on whether or not these, I don't know what to call them, if they're gods or if they're ancient astronauts, ancient <laughs> no, astronaut theory. Again? Mondashuan. 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 Yeah. 
Yeah. Whether or not they're good or evil, because they're trying to do good, but they might do evil or something that seems to be evil to Luke Perry's character in order to keep the world safe. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You mentioned astronaut. That kind of reminds me of the the ancient astronaut theory of of how humans came to be or, or where some alien life came and planted us here. And that that kind of reminded me of it. I'm like, oh, these guys came down in that giant boot looking spaceship with a little tiny foot. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what ancient people thought of these people from space coming in and, and planting us here. And somehow they, they don't talk. And I don't know, they're greatly feared or something. I, it just reminded me yeah, of that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, did they make sound? Yes, they spoke. I mean, not like the little like venti things where their mouth would be. Sometimes if you look, you can see things moving behind there, like little metal flaps, I guess. Because remember when the priest is trying to get him to hurry because the walls are closing in and he like holds the key out and he's like, time is not important. Only life is important. And there's some other stuff that they say, of course, but they say in 300 years when evil returns, so will we. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting because I thought, oh, this is like ancient astronaut theory combined with the creation story from the Bible, Genesis. They've got these tablets and it it almost looks like the creation story. They've got evil represented as a serpent there, like the Mm -hmm. snake in the Garden of Eden. But then they've got this weapon with the different elements. Now, I did have a question about this. So there's four elements. Let's see, we've got air, water, earth, and fire. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like there had to be a fifth element in the middle to make the weapon work. Mm -hmm. My question was, did the fifth element have to be Lilu? Because I swore they said evil could stand in the middle of those elements and power that weapon. So it didn't have to be Lilu because remember, Lilu is a recreation of that weapon in the case like the tomb kind of case, sarcophagus kind of case that the Manashoan carried out. As they said, war is coming. The weapon's not safe here on earth, but we'll come back when you need it. And because of the crash, because of the warrior guys, there was only a piece of that left. And so I've always wondered if Lilu was actually the original weapon that was like brought back to life, or if that was just kind of like, she was what embodied the spirit of that, if that makes sense. But there was also a difference because if evil stood there, then death and destruction is what happens, right? But in order for life to continue, then it has to be love. And so that's what she represented, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. Go ahead, Heath. Did anyone think that the, that the I don't know, I call them the golden fatties, the Montesholen or whatever, whatever they're called, they mm-hmm. died pretty easily. They just got shot. That was it. There was no big old battle with these ogre looking aliens. They just got shot and disappeared. And I don't know. I think that was a little for these characters that you know are supposed to protect this fifth element they Mm -hmm. did not they they weren't very tough they were fragile which is kind of like the fifth element she was fragile too Mm -hmm. yes i don't know if that's alluding to anything but it's interesting how quickly they died yeah i never really thought about that because if you think about it if you remember when that big ball of evil first appears and they're trying to shoot at it and cornelia says evil begets more evil and so maybe in the interest of not giving birth to more evil they were just a very like pacifist race or species i don't Mm -hmm. know the one time that they tried to show their power was when they were like telepathically killing did they kill the professor in the i think so because i can't remember luke perry's character's name but he like shows him checking his pulse and then he Mm kind of gasps and like moves away really quick 
Seems he like says they can't they killed fight. the professor, so Yeah, they can't really fight because they're very awkward. They're like in those blow up sumo costumes. <laughs> but they can kill you with their mind. So mm-hmm. that, I mean that is some power. Mm-hmm. No guns, the yeah. word for it, killing things with your mind, moving them around. Which is interesting because Heath, you were mentioning that you would expect them to have that power and be able to fight back, but the Jews also thought that Jesus was gonna fight back against the Romans. And he didn't, but he like used his mind to overcome like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and things like that. And ah. he ultimately was the the from Christianity's perspective, the weapon against evil and death and destruction. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, if you know me, I'm into the the ancient Jewish perspective on that, where he was actually fighting these spirits that had rebelled against God, like way back in ancient Jewish lore, like in the Book of Enoch and in the Garden of Eden. So his enemy wasn't really humanity. It was these other evil spiritual beings, kind of like how Lilu was human, but taking out these evil alien things. Mm-hmm. So they represent the serpent, right? Well, no, the serpent is represented by that big ball that they shot missiles at. Mangalores. 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 Yeah. The villains are called Mangalores then. Yeah, they're not really villains. I mean, they're kind of pawns for the, I guess for I would evil. say, secondary secondary villain. But yeah. Do they know that they're pawns by the secondary villain? I don't think so. Because if they did, they would have asked about the little red button on the side of the gun. Ah. <laughs> That's just my thought. So we do have the basic battle of good and evil depicted Mm -hmm. here. So that's interesting. Now with the weapon, we talked about how evil could stand in the center of the weapon and operate it to destroy humanity. Question though, is Lilu good no matter what? Or is she only going to be good if she finds love? No, I think she's good no matter what. Because she even says that her job is to protect life until death, which going back a little bit could also be why the Mandashuan didn't fight back, why they just let the Mangalore shoot them down. But I think because remember, this is fast forwarding to the end, but with each block, like you had to have water for water, air for wind, dirt for earth and fire for fire. I think love is what activated her as the weapon. And so when they say if evil stands there, I don't think it's necessarily evil operating the weapon. I think it's evil itself being present in that place when the other stones are activated. Maybe that's kind of how I've always thought about it, but I could be wrong. So the weapon's good or bad depending on the input. No, I think the weapon is always good. I don't think evil needs the weapon. It's if evil stands in the middle of that circle of the four stones. Do they utilize it then? Utilize what? The weapon? Lilu is the weapon. What happens if evil stands in the middle? Then everything dies. Okay. It's destroyed. So it's the elements. The elements can be used for good or evil. Right. Depending on who's using them. Right. Which is oh, accurate. That's super interesting. Yeah, because yeah, that could that could happen with anything, right? Anything could be good or evil depending on what you do with it. Like you could you could go with a knife, you could use it to make a sandwich, or you could use it to like stab somebody in the eye. Right, right. <laughs> Different functions. So I, what I was trying to figure out is is Lilu an incorruptible messiah figure? And it sounds like the answer is yes. She's intrinsically good then. I think so. What do you think, Heath? Well, is in- does incorruptible mean provided that she's alive? So like incorruptible, not like immortal, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't be tainted by evil and you, you have to continue on this good track by your very nature. And That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Even though she even though she watched the whole database of human history, she seemed to get it unless yeah. the data was biased. But 
Exactly. You see her almost get in like PTSD mode when she watches the tape on war. Mm -hmm. So even though she shows compassion, she's upset. It doesn't corrupt her. Although she does think about she, I guess in the movie, she's supposed to think about possibly not helping humanity because she's internally having the debate of, is humanity worth saving if this is what they do? But she only says that in a couple lines. So I got it, but I thought, oh, that's such an interesting concept. I would like to see more. I would like to see like 20 minutes of her wrestling with that. But I don't think we had 20 minutes for her to wrestle with that because that kind of fired off from her looking at war and then they're at that sanctuary temple area and she says that in the same little scene slash conversation where she says protect life until death and then she's like so what's the point of protecting life when you see what you do with it so i don't know yeah that's interesting i think for her it was maybe kind of a struggle all along more so because she was trying to understand this thing that she's saving like it was never a question of whether she was going to save it or not because she knew that's what she was meant to do but then what what is this thing that i'm saving and for her she kind of had that moment where she was dying she was running out of she had seen so much death and destruction really at that point in the short time that she was for lack of a better word alive that she it drained her essentially and so for her, she was like, why would I keep going when everything is just going to be destroyed anyway? You might as well just let it go in one fell swoop. Yeah. I don't know. Like if that's impossible just to save. Yeah. Like it's too much yeah, just for one, kind of. one element, if you will. Yeah, maybe. Or just that she couldn't. Why would I, by continuing life, she's continuing destruction also and allowing destruction to continue happening, really. The slow death as opposed to a quick death, I guess. Yeah, that's only a brief part of the movie, but it taps into the whole problem of evil debate. Mm -hmm. Why does God allow evil? Is humanity worth saving? Why did God create humans if they're going to just do stuff like this? Mm -hmm. That is interesting. I mean, that is being paralyzed by the bad, right. uh, which I feel kind of pessimistic sometimes, so I can understand that. But there's good too, right? It's mm -hmm. A mix. That's what they say. <laughs> what about what about this? I noticed that humans have to par partner with these godlike figures in this movie, and they have to partner with Lilu in order to save the world. It's not just the gods saying the saving the world or the ancient astronauts or whatever, which is very similar to how the Jews thought because they believed after Eden went away, the Garden of Eden in Genesis three. The Jews believed God partnered with humans to eventually bring back Eden, right? And then mm -hmm. he brings Jesus, and then Jesus partners with humans to reach the world and try to make it like Eden again eventually one day. So I noticed that because without humans, I mean, without Bruce Willis and who's the priest? Cornelius. Cornelius. Without Cornelius. Cornelius. Yeah, she wouldn't have been able to save the world. So she needed humans, even mm -hmm. though she's a divine figure. I thought that I thought that was very interesting. What do you that guys think about that? That is interesting. And even if you back up a little bit, she needed which okay, so God needed humans to bring his son into the world, right? Because Mary gave birth to Jesus. When the Montessuans were shot down and there was just a piece of this weapon left, they needed humans to recreate this creature that would be Lilu in the end. Yeah. So yeah, that's there's another parallel. Yeah. Like if we made a cyborg Jesus. Is that allowed? 
<laughs> I have no idea. That was maybe a wild if she had a piece of Jesus left. Hey, nobody knows what the book of Revelation means, so maybe. <laughs> right? Hey, I got Jesus's hand here. Can we make yeah. something of this? Second coming of <laughs> Jesus is a cyborg. Well, this is interesting. You mentioned earlier that this is Lilu's second time on the planet, or second time in existence, because the Lilu we see is not the original Lilu, possibly. It's not the original weapon, I would say. Yeah. We don't know if that weapon was Lilu to begin with, or if by reconstructing it using those DNA strands. Like, remember when they cloned the sheep? They used the same DNA, but it wasn't the exact same sheep. Or like in that movie, Multiplicity, like you could clone something but and use the same DNA, but it may not come out the same every time. Mm-hmm. Because like your parents have these different genes and you get a mix of them and then the strongest ones are what come through. So I don't know. It may not, the weapon when they took it off of Earth may not have been Lilu. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That is interesting. It could have been Kesha. Kesha. <laughs> I, listen, Kesha seems like a very nice person. I don't, I don't know if I'd want her to be that weapon. What's the toothbrush song? I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth. Uh, no the club. I'm behind on my Kesha. Oh, I know, that was like 10 ago. years ago. Yeah, she brushes her teeth with a bottle of Jack Daniels, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm. All right, so when I was watching this, I was looking at this as either a futuristic expansion of the Genesis creation story or some futuristic take on Revelation. Now, I do think there are some differences. So we, we talked about the ancient beings, right? We don't know what they were. We don't even know if they created humans, do we? Did they say where humans came from in that opening monologue with the hieroglyphics? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is an interesting kind of wild theory, but some ancient Jews believed that God made spirits called Elohim, which we in English think of them in more simple terms as angels or demons, right? Well, at some point, God had these spirits managing different nations. Like if you read the book of Enoch, or if you even if you read the Bible in Deuteronomy 32, it's kind of talking about this and it comes to a head in Psalm 82. So if you're a super theology nerd, look up those two chapters. He has these spirit beings managing the different nations, and they're supposed to help humanity along or do good, right? But some of them choose to do bad. Are you so, talking about the, what I think you're talking about? Divine counsel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's what I so, thought. I didn't want to give it away if you were getting there, but I'm trying to make sure I'm tracking with you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to get too theologically deep for people. But sorry, if you watch that, if you watch this movie with the idea that these ancient astronauts are possibly angels, which is a simplification, but angels, and then these evil beings are demons, that can actually still fall under the umbrella of Judaism or Christianity. It's deep Christianity, but it's Christianity. Yeah. I think that's definitely a parallel that you can see, especially I think when you get this overarching umbrella of good and evil, it's really easy to look at it and start matching people to different parts yeah, or kind matching of characters yeah, to different mm-hmm. parts, if that makes sense. But I, I get the connection that you're making for sure. Mm-hmm. So they have, they have an influence over actions of the, of the humans. If they hadn't come to Earth and tried to take the sarcophagus, well, then... It, we will, well, we wouldn't have a movie, number one, but they wouldn't have the uh, chance to to prevent evil from standing in that spot and using the weapon for their own advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. 
So what did what did you think of Corbin and Lilu's introduction when they meet in the taxi? Bada boom. That's a pretty big scene. Big bada boom. <laughs> I think it lasted a little longer than it probably should. But it was kind of interesting. Lilu didn't know what Bruce was speaking. Well, whatever his name, Corbin. And Corbin mm-hmm. didn't know what she was speaking. So there was a language barrier. So they had to instantly like trust each other. Except he couldn't really do it and then at the last moment he's like oh i only have one point on my driver's license and we're gonna get away from the cops so yeah what do you think risk. Caused him to risk that do what what do you think caused him to risk his car and his job and his license to save lilu well his mom told him hey when are you when are you gonna you know, of course he had a cat that, that's step one <laughs> She lived with a cat. Well, anyway, I think he was looking for looking for a lady and, and popped a pretty good one, even though she didn't understand his language. I don't get that. If I couldn't understand someone, golly, this fruit fly. If I couldn't understand someone, then that would be difficult, but apparently not for Corbin. Yeah, I don't know that it necessarily, I've never thought about it having anything to do with the fact that he was looking for a lady, because I don't think he was, especially after his the no. way that his wife left him. I think he's someone who... Because remember, he was in the military and he was like kind of a military hero. And he's kind of induced down to this cab driver. And the intro that we saw when we got to see the movie in the theater this past week, Luke Besson, who's the director of the movie or the writer, director, one of the two or both, was saying that when he started writing this movie, it was about this guy who um, was kind of grumpy and kind of down in the dumps. And he kind of makes stupid decisions sometimes. So I think some of that comes into it. But I think also at heart, he's someone who does want to do the right thing. And in that case, morally, I might even say the right thing was to protect Lilu. So I guess if you wanted to draw a parallel from it, this I don't know if this is stretching it a little bit. But when Mary became pregnant, when Jesus dropped in on her, Joseph was like, "Mm, peace out, man, I don't think so. That's not my baby. But then the angel went to him and was like, no, you're going to do this. So other people might not have seen that as a good idea. But in order for this savior of the world to come to life and live the life that he needed to in order to be able to reach his ministry, then Joseph went along with it and took care of Mary and Jesus. So Uh, that's interesting. Hmm. I didn't even think about that. I was first I was thinking, okay, he must see something in her besides attraction. He must know that she's innocent. Because I believe people would do crazy things for a woman, but I don't know that they would risk their career and going to jail and becoming a fugitive just to rendezvous with a woman, right? I mean, maybe like a super thrill seeker. But then I thought about the, the parallel I saw was maybe the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And that story has a little bit of a deeper meaning than most people realize because this Samaritan helps a Jew who has been beat up by robbers. Well, the Jews and the Samaritans had a rivalry, so they hated each other. So it was interesting that this Samaritan had a lot to lose. And both of those groups had built their own temples, and both of them were saying, no, our temple is the real temple. God lives in it. And they hated each other. So to help, for the Samaritan to help the Jewish person who was beat up in the ditch, that would have made him an outcast in his community. And here, if Bruce Willis helps Lilu, he's on the run. He's an outcast. He loses his car. He probably loses his license for eternity. There's a lot. There are some differences there, but in both cases, there's a lot on the line and they're both doing it 
for the right reasons because an innocent person needs help. Mm-hmm. I like that parallel. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And there is a dimension, like Heath said, that he thought this woman was amazing, right? He was pretty smitten. Yeah. I mean, he tells Finger when he's like, where's the cat? And he's like, listen, I have this fair drop in and her, she's perfect, basically. So you don't get a fair like yeah. this every day, or yeah, sort of like that. Yeah, they had a really big so. fair, the kind you go all out for. I don't remember what he said, but yeah. But I think that was the idea. So yeah, I, I think they wanted us to think he just did it for love. But I just think like you just met this person, you don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. I just think there had to be more to it. I think so he too. Had that she didn't do anything wrong mm-hmm. or maybe when he saw her crying didn't she she became very yeah, afraid to, because yeah. the cops were there and she was saying reading the police help thing and mm-hmm. trying to sound it out but yeah so i think that it kind of tug tugged on his heartstrings and then it all kind of but i mean also if you think about it i mean obviously it's not realistic for us to just meet someone and be in love like love at first sight i don't want to break anyone's heart but like it's not a thing and so but if the this weapon that represents good, this fifth element is love, and she brings that into his life and brings that out of him, then for this particular storyline, it makes a little bit more sense. Oh, you, okay. This is okay. going to be a little crazy. Do you think that spherical evil ball, does does it have like an emanating effect on like, like when the guys are trying to shoot it and it doesn't have anything? And then mm-hmm. they, I don't know, it seems like fear took a hold of them or something. You think mm-hmm. it has the I know you're talking about like when the blood it. was, the blood was dripping down because when he calls Zorg, that happens one time too. He's got the blood like dripping yeah, down. Yeah, I was thinking it. Sword, yeah. Yeah. So like, there's gotta be something. From? Do you think that, that Lilu had that same kind of effect on I don't know, Cornelius, David, I think his name mm-hmm. is David and yeah. Corbin? I think so. I mean, I think in the whole idea of balance, it would have to they would both have to have that power. It's but... like they see something pure in her or something like that. Right. Like right. there's something different about this. It's really... it was... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh. Well, I thought it was interesting that when he brought her to Cornelius, uh, he was like the only guy. Like if it wasn't for him, we'd be doomed. Maybe doomed. We'd be doomed. They'd be doomed. <laughs> so he was like the he was just as important as she was in mm-hmm. the whole saving of humanity. Like there was this guy entrusted with the language for that had been passed down for 300 years mm-hmm. or more. And mm-hmm. I see a parallel with that. The Pharisees had, yeah. you know, or the, the Jews had the language that they were supposed to pass down accurately. Mm-hmm. And this was the only guy, this priest. Right. And as a little apprentice. I think that was an apprentice. Wasn't David an apprentice? Yeah, probably. Yeah, like an like up-and-coming that. priest. Yeah. It's like Aramaic. It's almost a dead language now. Yeah. Did you know, actually, Luke Besson wrote that language. He has like a book of 400 words that she had to memorize. But well, Mia says it was 800. He said 400. Yeah. I think. She probably just felt like it was 800. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting that it is actually its own thing. But You know, what was really interesting about that is, so he started writing that in high school. He started mm-hmm. writing the story in high school because he was bored. Mm-hmm. But Mia and the director wrote letters back and forth in that language, in mm-hmm. the divine language from the film. Mm-hmm. Well, they end up falling in love. They had an affair during this movie. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe the language is too too good. <laughs> This guy also, I think, wrote his own language. I Tolkien? think so. For the, for the elves. For the yeah. elven language? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, this is Tolkien. Cool book. I need to write my own language. Computer language. So I have a quote from Zorg. I want to read it to you because there's a very interesting conversation here. The scene when 
Cornelius meets Zorg, right? And Zorg says, he's, he's pointing out all these little robots that he has that do his janitorial work and stuff. And he says, look at all these little things. So busy now. Notice how each one is useful. A lovely ballet ensues. So full of form and color. Now, think about all of these people that created them. Technicians, engineers, hundreds of people who will be able to feed their children tonight. So those children can grow up big and strong and have little teeny children of their own, and so forth and so on. Thus, adding to the great chain of life. You see, Father, by causing a little destruction, I am, in fact, encouraging life. In reality, you and I are in the same business. Okay, I thought that was fascinating. I'm like, okay, so he's arguing for the necessity of evil, necessity of destruction, and saying that like, well, if I don't blow stuff up, and if I don't cause chaos, then no one will have jobs to feed their children. <laughs> what do you guys think about that theme? I think it's a bad argument because he's talking about knocking a glass off of his desk as opposed to blowing things up and killing people. I, I don't, I think that's, <laughs> you can't make an argument out of that as opposed to trying to save humankind. Like, not the same. I get, oh, the good point. Point. I get the point that he's trying to make, but I don't think he presented it very well. I think there was, to use a term that Heath brought up earlier today, I think there was some confirmation bias in his argument there, but that's just my perspective. I've always thought that was just a horrible argument, like just not the same thing. Well, yeah, because if he blows everybody up, then there's no one to work. I mean, he knows that what he's doing by selling these elements, I mean, they're supposed to destroy the human race, right? Does he not know what they do? I guess he doesn't because he just wants the money, right? Because at one point, Mr. Shadow calls and he's like, well, my costs have tripled. And he's like, whatever, money's not important to me because I'm sure this evil ball of fire knows like, dude, you're not going to need the money. You're going to be dead. Everything in the world is going to be gone. So I think yeah. he was just money hungry. I don't think, I think in his mind, evil was going to come and take over and he didn't realize it was just going to destroy everything and there would be nothing like that money is useless. So he was operating under a delusion. Yes. Like Michael. Or a lie. <laughs> Maybe he was so focused on the money that he didn't see the danger. Yeah. Which can happen. Absolutely. I think we can get focused on things we think are important and it kind of crosses causes this tunnel vision effect and that's probably where he was operating back to the glass going on the floor you can have a bunch of people doing a bunch of different things and none of those things are killing so i also think it's a bad argument you can have people farming and still have kids that do more farming yeah yeah so he must not believe that the world's actually going to be destroyed then right is this that whole debate about when the world's going to end i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> so i did run a poll in my Facebook group, Beer and Spirituality, the other day. And I was listening to a podcast about 3001, like the Space Odyssey third novel. And in that novel, the author was assuming humans are still going to be here in the year 3001. I thought, oh, I want to ask on Facebook, do people think that humans are still going to be around in the year 3001 or not? What do you guys think? Who do you think won in the poll? Humans will live or humans will not be around in 3001? What do you think? I think they'll not be around. That's my vote. I want to say I, tie. I don't know what the poll would have said, though. Well, the answer was no was 50, 57%. So what, we'll be dead by 3001. So they, yes was 43%. So Interesting. It was, it was very interesting. I voted no because we have nukes. Some people voted no for various reasons, like asteroids or not taking care of the planet, things like that. Mm -hmm. So the scale was very interesting. 
I see. Yeah. <laughs> what about that? Reminds me of a song, but I digress. <laughs> in thirty-one, thirty-one. A so, song or a song? Song. So in G. Oh. Yeah. So at the end here, the fifth element, the weapon, is the weapon love or yes. is Lilu the weapon and love no. is what activates Lilu? Yes. Both. All of the above? Uh, I've always thought it was love because she that's what makes her decide to keep going, basically. Apparently, some people, namely Roger Ebert, think it's the life force itself. Yeah, but those could be one and the same. I mean, yeah. I don't know. One of the one of the John books in the Bible says God is love. So if God is source of life and love, that's the same thing. So right. I always thought it was love because of the way that that whole scene goes down. And Roger Ebert says that it's the life force itself. I'm reading this kind of discussion board on it, and someone's like, I don't even understand. Like, what is it? And this person says that Lilu herself, whatever she is, is the weapon, but it doesn't like, this is just somebody's opinion. But so people, somebody is saying like, is it love? Is it something other than Lilu herself and somebody's not? But also this person makes a comment that the fifth element is a very clever and sly retelling of, they call it a fable. I would call it a story of Sodom where when God destroyed it, I don't, where Lilu takes huh. the place of God in that case. I wouldn't have thought of that personally, but I just thought that was an interesting comment. Oh, because of the aliens, the the evil aliens that are trying to blow up Earth? No, Sodom just didn't. I mean, that didn't. I mean, I know he destroys Sodom, but I don't know. I just don't really see the parallel, I guess. Yeah, I don't either because she's trying to protect the planet, right? Well, she's trying to yeah. protect life. So yeah. she's, she's only defending against things that are trying to kill life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get that parallel either. Yeah, so I don't. Unless she's loat trying to escape. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see it. Where'd you pull that from? It was on a Quora oh, okay. discussion board. So these are other fans of the film's thoughts. Yes. And this person calls what happened in Sodom a fable. So I don't think they are, I don't know how much, well, obviously I don't know what the rest of their background is, but they were also very adamant that love was not the fifth element. So hmm. well, check, they check this hug. out. Yeah, they need a hug. <laughs> so, you know, the, what do you call them, tomes or something that they set up, the artifacts that they set up, and uh -huh. then they have to go and put water on it to activate it, right? And they have to go put earth on it to activate. Oh, the, the stones, yeah. Yeah, so each stone is activated by the element, mm -hmm. but each stone is not the element itself. Right. Like water is the element, but the mm -hmm. stone is not water. It's activated by water. Therefore, right. love is the element and Lilu is the stone. Was so she is by. Yeah. Right. So she is the weapon. She's not the embodiment of love, although she is pure and innocent and all of those things, right? And good. Right. So, okay. So we can say that the fifth element in this film is love. Roger Ebert is so. wrong, therefore. <laughs> so she... so like that grumpy person on Cora. <laughs> <laughs> so she can only be activated by love, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what has always made sense to me since the first time I saw that movie. But I like that there's like a logical explanation behind it that makes it feel less like Oh, of course, the girl thinks love is the fifth element. You know what I mean? This is a sci-fi complex way to tell love conquers all. I don't like it like that, but sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Okay, well, tell me this. When we see Bruce confess that he loves Lilu, uh-huh. do you feel like that love is earned? By Bruce do you think it's genuine? Lilu? Do you I think, think it's he's a... truly in love? I think he is. Maybe but at I the also, beginning stage. Which I think in real time, in real life, we're like, well, that's ridiculous. But part of movies, like I'm always telling you, Nathan, his suspension of disbelief. But sometimes you got to roll with things for the purpose of the plot, right? So I don't think it's meant to make sense. But that's just Mm-hmm. Also, well, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, no, they haven't known each other very long. It's been like what, 48 hours or something. We don't Can know what time them? is like that far in the future. That's true. Well, okay. An interesting philosophical debate is: When does love begin? I don't think like when two people is, meet. I don't think love is static. I think it grows over time. At least that type of love, right? Yeah. So when does it begin to grow? Is what he's saying. Probably when they meet. Yeah. When does it start? <laughs> when he bada boom? Maybe I don't. Know. <laughs> bada boom. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. So are you in love before you actually know that you're in love? Because it starts small and it ramps up. Probably. Or sometimes you can be in denial. Like you don't want to see it. I'm curious. So our audience knows, do you believe in love and first sight? I already said, I don't think it's real. So I don't think so. I mean, that may be anchored by Nicole, but I don't think so. Personally, yeah. You can have a different opinion. Heath. It's okay. We can still be friends. <laughs> I tend to say no, but could it be like 1% love? And I mean, that's the start of love. I, I mean, you're wired to be attracted to people, I but think you don't you know anything be... about it attracted at first sight and i think you can see like as you get to you can kind of have like a weird way of putting it like that gut feeling that there's a potential for you to love someone if all these other things are in place but you can't actually love them until you know who they are and what they're about you know what i mean i think otherwise you're setting yourself up for disappointment if you're just like you see someone and you're like oh my gosh i love them and i'm not going to take more time for research but i did see like a scientific explanation once on like the chemicals in the brain that are activated when people describe love at first sight versus like strong attraction, how it all ties together. And there's like a scientific explanation for it, but I don't know. I think you can see potential in someone, but I don't think love at first sight is a, is a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Potential. That's a very good way to put it. I think that's accurate. You're welcome. So are we to think that Bruce Willis sees more than just potential in Lilu at this point. At the point he professes his love to her, at the point he crashes, she crashes in a cab. He professes love. Not slightly more than when she crashes in a cab. Yeah, he can't have too much information at this point, right? I think he knows enough that he might want to pursue it. Okay. I mean, the movie has to, at this point, rush that a little bit just because it's a, a movie and we're at the end. Again, I don't think you can also put realistic expectations on a fictional movie. <laughs> but, but I always do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I can love a girl in less than two days. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in a movie, yes, you're welcome to do so. I was caught between, oh, uh, yeah, they had to do it this way. And this wasn't quite long enough. Like, you wouldn't propose to somebody after four. 48 hours but i'm like well it's the end of the world he didn't maybe you propose would to her yeah you're right you're right it could be baby like it, like early love stages right like puppy love or something he's like oh that's good enough i can say it to activate the element whatever helps <laughs> you sleep that, at night nathan <laughs> we call that a crush i yeah. guess infatuation hey what is a crush though but the beginning of love is it a professional <laughs> All right. Well, do you guys recommend The Fifth Element? Nicole? 10 out of 10. Absolutely recommend. As long as you don't have realistic movie standards like Nathan does. Yes. (laughs) Best movie of all time. (laughs) What about you, Heath? I'm not going to rate it a 10. 
but it's still pretty good. I like it because Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis is kind of cool. And it has that kind Tell of this. weird 90s-ish animation to it. I just think that's yeah. kind of weird. It's weird, that but it's cool. It's like, that's not realistic, but you got to throw it in there. Right. It makes the storyline cool. Kind of like an early CGI in a video game, like where the CGI is so much better than in cutscenes than, you know, when you're playing. Kind of like, I like it. It's cool. Nostalgia yeah. factor. I what also recommend it. I would say my first viewing was a year and a half ago. I'd only seen clips on TV as a kid. And Who the first made time you watch I watched that movie? It, you did. <laughs> Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, what in the world is going on? Like from Gary Oldman's accent. And I didn't even mention it in the podcast, but his like plastic half helmet thing, which I think he was trying to emulate some of those alien creatures, maybe. I think it was just a futuristic <laughs> style choice. Full helmets on and he had this hilarious half plastic toupee. So between that and Ruby really threw me off. I think I told you, I thought like now the second time I watched this movie, I knew what to expect. But both times I was like, this guy is in every other scene, like screaming. Like, couldn't they like turn this guy down just a little bit and like reduce his scenes by half? No, I think he's one of the, the best Jar-Jar parts of that movie. Oh, oh. don't even. Ugh. So you love Ruby. And yes. I'm like, Ruby is interesting, but here too much. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> some, some of his scenes were quite funny. So the first time I watched this movie, I was like, what did I just watch? watch and the moment that really made me wonder like is this gonna be a bad movie is when bruce willis almost gets mugged and the mugger is just like i don't know tripping on something he's out of his mind and the second time i watched it i got that's really really early on in the movie yeah yeah the second time i got pretty fascinated on how intricate it was Mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot here so the lore in the world I was like, oh, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to pack into one film. It's like trying to pack all of Star Wars, the whole trilogy, into one film. But I really enjoyed it, especially on the second viewing. So if you go into it just knowing that it's going to be kind of campy and crazy, I think you'll probably like it, especially if you're paying attention to some of the deeper themes, because I really do think there's quite a lot of deep themes that they tap into. So I will give it a recommend. So would oh, you cool. would you would you want to watch a movie like Waterworld with Kevin Costner? I think it's pretty <laughs> similar to it. The Fifth Element. It's a little subdued than the futuristic kind of stuff. It's more I would watch it, but I have avoided that movie based on its reputation. And just because I've heard it's not good. You've heard it's but not maybe good. it is. It's like trying uh, mushrooms when everyone else hates them and you love them. The <laughs> reputation. Actually, everyone loves them and mushrooms. <laughs> What do you think the top movies of 1997 were that this film was up against? Just so we can get some perspective on where this movie falls in the greatness of the 90s. Any guesses? There's a um, big one, 1997. Titanic was 1997, wasn't it? Yep, that's it. Hmm. So I'm not seeing any major. Oh, one of your other favorite movies was 97, Nathan. Oh, yeah. Batman and Robin. <laughs> So bad, it's good. <laughs> L.A. Jurassic Confidential. Oh, that was unfortunate. <laughs> so there weren't really any other, aside from Men in Black, there weren't too many other major sci-fi movies from this year, huh? The Saint. Was it that kind of sci-fi? Mm, I haven't seen it. Yeah, look real quick. 
Oh, no, it's not. It's a, like kind of action-y, I think. But Volcano Face-Off was 1997. Oh, uh, man. Nick Cage. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Event Horizons. Of course, that was a little bit more of a scary movie. So yeah. it probably wouldn't be a mainstream audience. Con Air, Air Force One. Con Air, Con Air Nick Cage movie. And Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Mr. Bean. Yeah. <laughs> These are the tier movies to Fifth Element. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. I don't know which one that was. I think that was the first one. So if you look at like top sci-fi movies, you have Contact, Gattaca, The Fifth Element, Cube, The Postman, Event Horizon, The Lost World, Mimic, Flubber, Starship Troopers, Alien, Resurrection, Men in Black. Those are the ones that I recognize. So the top two from there, in my opinion, are Men in Black and Fifth Element. Yeah. I think Contact was pretty popular. Well, looking back on all of the popular movies from 1997, that really does raise this movie in esteem, I think, Mm -hmm. if you look at what it was up against. Right. Alien Resurrection. I did not like that movie, though. (laughs) Well, cool. Yeah, I would be interested to see what you guys think as listeners of this movie. And if there's any spiritual themes that you saw here that we didn't, if you would like to contact us, if you want to post on our Facebook page, we are sponsored by Brewery Ministries. So you can find Brewery Ministries on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. We are Brewery Ministry because Twitter wouldn't allow quite as many characters in the name. (laughs) (laughs) So singular, Brewery Ministry on Twitter. Or you can email us at breweryministries at gmail.com. We also make discussion guides. They're basically questions so you can host like a study group at your house or at a bar. We have a bar group, so that's really cool. And an online group. So yeah, we will see you guys again soon with another movie review. Heath and Nicole, thank you for joining me. I'm sure you two will be back on here sometime in the future. And we will be back soon with another Movies Are Spiritual episode. Take care, guys. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to Movies Are Spiritual. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was sponsored by Brewery Ministries, creating casual spiritual conversation for anyone. If you'd like to use our free discussion questions with your friends or with a group, visit breweryministries.org and click on the free discussion guides link. There you can find spiritual questions on the Dark Knight trilogy, Marvel movies, the Gospel of Mark, and more. If you're in the Wichita area and you'd like to discuss theology with us at a brewery, check out the Brewery Ministries Facebook page or at breweryministries.org for information on meeting and location times. Contact us at breweryministries at gmail.com. Featuring music by Project Hero. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.